Hey Auntie is based in Melbourne, Australia. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land where we live and work, the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging, and we extend that respect to all Indigenous Australians and all First Nations mob everywhere. There you are. I've been expecting you. I've just popped the kettle on. Come on in. Hey, Auntie. Hey, Auntie. Hey, Auntie. Hey, Auntie. Hey, Auntie. Say hey, Auntie. How do you learn to love your body? Hi, and welcome to Hey, Auntie. I'm Chantelle Weatherall. Thank you for joining us. It's such a pleasure to be back with you for season two of Hey Auntie. Continuing our mission to listen to black women with more conversations reflecting our brilliance and diversity, showing that there's millions of ways to be magical. There's so much beautiful imagery now. People who are embracing body positivity, self-definition, is absolutely wonderful. But unfortunately, at the same time, there's also people who still think that they're entitled to tell us whether we're beautiful, whether we're acceptable, whether we are even women. Taking all of that into account, What are the things that go through your head when you look at yourself in the mirror? What were the messages we got taught when we were growing up about whether we were beautiful, whether we were valuable, whether our bodies were acceptable or not? And how do you take all of that in, process it, and still come out fighting, come out celebrating, come out being your own number one fan? It's not easy. It's not all memes and Instagram posts. It can be really lonely. It can be really alienating. So I thought it would be really wonderful to have a conversation with some aunties, to talk through the challenges they've faced along the way, to talk through the things that they struggled with but have come to look at differently and how they've gone on that journey. What were the catalysts? What were the tools they've used? So yeah, how do you learn to love your body? I'm really interested. My my first for season two is the wonderful Tarneen Onus-Williams. Tarneen is a filmmaker, writer, and also a community activist. Tarneen has spent years advocating for other women and other people in community. And we had a really wonderful conversation about the journey that Tarneen went on from being young and carefree to learning about other people's expectations on their body and what that does to you. Then having kind of light bulb moments and realizing, no, I don't want to buy into this anymore. And the tools that Tarnin used when they went through that process. Here's my chat with Tarnin Onus-Williams. Hey, Tarnin. 
Hey, Chantel. It's really, really lovely to see you. Tani, when I asked you to be on Hey Auntie, how did you learn to love your body? What made you say yes? I think that I, in, in over the last few years, I really have gone on this journey um, of learning to love my body again. And I think that you know, I think even like the question is like, oh, why shouldn't we love our bodies? You know, it's just like we are thinking that we're putting the question forward like as if our bodies don't deserve to be loved um, and they don't deserve to be loved by ourselves. So I think that I definitely, you know, wanted to come on because I was just like, oh, you know, as a fat person, people always ask me like, how did you learn to love your body or how do you have so much confidence? And I'm always just like, why don't you ask thin people this? There's um, an implicit um, assumption, isn't there, in the question that you are starting off not loving your body. Mm. And it's like, explain to me why you love your body. And it's like, why wouldn't I? Yeah. And it's just like, obviously, most people have something about their body like realistically we've all got something and in particular people of color um women of color like trans people and i think because our bodies are not what people consider default norm we assume that our bodies unloved so i really like i really want to come and have a chat because i wanted to be able to talk about as well like why i also love my body and what's taken me and on this journey. I love that. Thank you. That's really beautiful. Tani, uh, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Melbourne? No, I grew up in country Victoria, so in Portland on my country, which is Gunditjmara country. So I lived there until I was 15 and I moved to Melbourne. So I've been in Melbourne now for 11 years. And um, moving to Melbourne was definitely like my school was like mostly white and I was like oh my god this is crazy does this happen someone asked me what our nationality was like they actually said nasho and I was like what is nasho like I'm ab- obviously aboriginal wow it's like you live in a country town everyone knows that you're aboriginal what's knows your, your family. nasho yeah I was just like what's that I'm aboriginal obviously and then it was just like no because there's so many different people that go to this school that that's just like a question that you'll ask Wow, that is a heck of a culture shock, right? Going from being in your country town where uh, contextually you don't have to explain yourself. You're kind of within the range of uh, the expected norms of the community and then you're plunged into this new environment where um, what's your nasho? Every time I see you now, I'm going to be like, (laughs) Tanine. What's your what's your, your nasher? <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. So, yeah. How did growing up? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always fascinated by this because I I've never had that experience of growing up among community. Um, growing up, did you have an awareness of your body? I was a tomboy growing up. I just all of my awareness of my body was about what it could do, mm-hmm. and. I was very fearless and my awareness of my body was very much like, am I faster than that one? You know, am I stronger than that one? That was all that I was aware of. Um, 
until I kind of hit that kind of puberty age when I went to high school. And I really think that that was when it kicked in for me. What about you growing up uh, where you were and then that move to Melbourne? How did that impact the way that you felt about your body? I was very aware of my body. I think it was really difficult because primary school, it was usually like I did swimming and I did basketball and, you know, I was just, I played lots of sport and so it was very much like, am I faster swimmer than this person? You know what I mean? Like I was just always like, oh, what, am I good at dribbling the ball, you know? It's about your capabilities, right? Yeah. And then I think once I got like a little bit older, I think maybe like grade six where people started noticing each other's bodies. Yeah. And then and like into high school I was just like, oh, my God, this is freaking scary. But, yeah, it was just I think like as people started to like a puberty started to happen, I was just like, I hate this. <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> Can relate. <laughs> Especially when you get BO for the first time right. and you're just like, I can't believe I have to put this thing on my armpits every day. This is disgusting. Like, I absolutely hated it. Mate, my mum, I remember to this day, my mum, because I was just running around feral in my little village with all the other kids. And then at one point my mum was like, <laughs> dragged me in and was like, you are a little girl and you need to put this on because you are stinking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's literally what my mum, my mum, and, like, I would always have, like, I used to have a blue skivvy uniform and the armpits were, like, yellow from the sweat and the BO and I was just like, what is happening to me? I do not know what's happening to me. This is gross. But you don't have now. You don't have, like, you don't have any kind of sense of shame about it. It's curiosity and it's kind of weird, but you also don't have much shame about it because everyone, like if I think about my little brothers, like they they ponged. <laughs> but my mum was certainly not dragging them in and being like, this is, you know. I feel like also you hit that kind of grade six age and that's when there, at least in my experience, the difference in expectations mm-hmm. for genders started to come in and there was an expectation that I would need to start conforming or else I think it would kind of, they were, it was part of concern for me, but also I think part of concern for what it made the family look like to mm-hmm. have a little girl running around stinking and climbing trees. <laughs> yeah, I think that I was pretty lucky because I in that sense, because I have two older brothers, so they're like 11 and 8 years older than me. And me and my sister were definitely like those kids. We were like, you know, running around the street. We were always like climbing trees, like rolling in dirt, just like doing like just gross things just all the time. Blast. Yeah, we had the best time. I don't think, honestly, I, like, I feel like it never really stopped because we were allowed to be um, like... I don't know. We were, I just feel like we were allowed to be like the tomboy. I was always trying to be like more not tomboy, but then I was just like, I really want to do it. <laughs> um, I think it was just like growing up, like my parents like definitely had different expectations in terms of like going out and partying um, compared to my brothers, but in terms of like expectations of like what we should do and like sports we should play or how we should act like that definitely was just like not a thing which I feel like pretty fortunate to have because 
all of the people in my family, are, and especially the women, are like in like white ways, like mask, you know? So like they're really strong personalities. They do really like manly things or like mask things. And like, but for us, it was more like that's what women, black women do. Like, that's just how we are. You know what? You raise such a good point there because when I think about it's quite similar for me growing up because in some ways I remember in primary school my mum was like there was only two black families in the village and my mum, my mum used to go, she used to run and be super sporty and she had that sort of short black woman in the 90s hair and she was very muscular, kind of Grace Jonesy body and she used to go boxing and circuit training and I think, you know, it's about where where that kind of norm for femininity comes from. But I think about my grandma, you know, she could wield a machete pretty good, <laughs> you know, back home, just around her property. And, you know, these it's just part of what black women could do just to be useful and capable, you know, their life mm. skills rather than masculine activities to us. Yeah. Whereas in white ways, they will be considered pretty mask things to be doing. Yeah. So I like sometimes come across like the white woman that's like, hello, Janine, how are you going? I hope you're doing really well. Like, oh, yeah, I'm really well. I've just been, you know, and like I think about it and I was like, why can't I like deal with this? Like why can't I handle this over nice soft voice and like, it's because none of the women in my family are like that. None of no black women that I know talks like that. We allowed and we just like say everything in matter of fact mostly. And that's just how things are. My norm is like having like that around. And like my aunties like coming in and just like them completely being the breadwinners and being in control of things and like making the home or they were the people who were in control of everything and you know, doing, like, lots of fun things. So, yeah, I just find it funny, like, even just, like, what, like, my expectation or what my norm is for, like, a woman's voice in a yeah, sense. It's, that because is, my norm's, like, a black woman's voice. Yeah. That's my default. Totally. And I think that that is such an aspect of our bodily presence and the way you appear in a space that is really interesting because I'm with you. I find that super super feminized, almost like childlike way of speaking that some women adopt. It makes me on edge. <laughs> I'm like, why are you doing that? Doesn't seem genuine. It doesn't seem genuine. And that's yeah. why I think. And I also think because it's our norm, I'm also very aware that when I go out with my girlfriends and we're in a restaurant and we're talking normally – because everybody else's frame of reference is this quite kind of, it means that it looks like we're being raucous. Yeah. And it's like, no, we're just using our normal voices. Yeah, completely. Like even at KFC the other day and I saw this like black woman, she's like, I want the $2 chips, please. And then I was just like, yes, sis, just get them. And then like I just like other people ordering were just so quiet, but I could just hear her over like the restaurant and I was just like oh my god why do people talk so so quietly like I want to know what this person's ordering from the other side of the room you know (laughs) it's that's so true so growing up with 
uh, these really capable women around you um, who just were themselves and not having really prescribed gender norms for activities that you could participate in. What were the signals then that you got about what was beautiful and feminine and how did that maybe change as you grew up and then moved to Melbourne? So I lived in Portland with my mum and I lived with my brother and his partner as well for a bit. But then I moved to Melbourne with my dad and my aunties. And my aunties, they are like fat women. So, and my mum is also like not small, like she's also fat um, at like stages of her life. But my biggest fear growing up was always that I was going to be fat. And so um, when I moved to Melbourne, it was just like a really like weird thing where I didn't realise that, like, I was, like, not eating my lunch and, like, doing things like that. And I was like, what? I don't know what's going on until my dad noticed that all the food that he kept packing for me was, like, in the top drawer of my room. And then I was just, like, because I was just thinking, like, I was constantly just in in fear of being a fat where I just, like, was just, like, not eating or binging. And I was just in that fear so much. And, like, I started to put on weight because, like, in Portland you kind of – you walk everywhere, you know, there's no trams, there's no trains. And I started to put on weight and then people started to notice and I, it was just, like, it just got so much worse. And then maybe, like, four years ago I was just thinking, like, I'm fat now and I'm way more happy with my body than I was when I was thin because I was just, like, always thought that I was fat anyway even though I was, like – 50 kilos and I was just like oh my god I'm fat and it was I was not fat at all and I was just like I'm way happier now as a fat person than I was when I was a thin person and like why was I so in fear of being fat when like all the people and all the women in my life are fat and like they're fine and they look they look hot and they're beautiful and I was just like really starting to unpack like why I had such a fear of being fat when it was also the norm to have fat people around me. And, like, it was normal to have loud voices, but why is it not normal, like, to be fat? Where do you think that fear came from? Because I'm sitting here and I'm so relating to what you're saying because most of my matriarchs in my family are bigger women, fat women, but I remember the same fear and I'm, I'm kind of ashamed almost because I love them so much. Mm. So why was I like, I love you and I, I could never, if anyone said there was anything wrong with you, I'd be furious. Mm. But I'm kind of fighting becoming like you and fearing it. Yeah, it's, I think that's the thing too. It's like it's a double thing like you're thinking, oh, you know, I don't want to look like you even though I love you but then it's like the guilt of not wanting to look like them and then you're like am I not them and it's like but you are them because they're your family and it's just it's a real struggle and it's just like all this guilt coming in all the different places which you just don't expect the guilt to be because it's like this is my body but then it's like a guilt of not wanting to be like your family or them not being lovable and you not being lovable and just yeah it's it's a vicious cycle It's a heck of a vicious cycle and it's a heck of a lot to have on your shoulders when you are pretty young as well and you just don't have the equipment to deal with it. And then because there's the shame of kind of not wanting to be like these people that you love, who can you talk to about it? Mm -hmm. Because they're the people that you trust the most. You don't want to say anything because you'd hurt them. 
so who can you even talk to about it? Did you have people, uh, girlfriends, best friends that you were able to talk to about that stuff? No, I think that like I would speak about weight loss things with my aunties, but they even discouraged it as well. So I think it was like a really hard thing that I'm like, oh, you know, if like one of my, like I was speaking about one of my cousins, it's like, I think getting this big is okay, but don't get to me. Like, don't get to my fat. I was just like, okay. But then even like the cousin that was like, oh, that's fine to get to that fat. I was just like, I don't want to get that fat either. You know, and it's just like which fat is okay and seemed okay over others. The conversations between families. My aunties, literally, some of my younger aunties, every time I would see them at like Christmas or birthdays, they would be like, oh, yeah, not yet, but wait, it's coming. Because like all of the women in my family are really small until they hit a certain age and then they all get fatter at that age mm-hmm. and so literally my aunt, some of my younger aunties who are kind of more like big sisters to me would be like oh yeah you're outrunning it for now but it's coming and I would pretend I was laughing mm-hmm. about it but actually I was like oh my god it is coming and I remember having conversations with girls at high school my beautiful friends but they were white who we basically had a competition of who could eat the least. Yeah. It was like a dieting competition. You know, it's wrong on a lot of levels. But also, I was going through puberty and there were strong ancestral genes, mm. right? My body is made to survive a number of failed harvests. So there's no mm. eating tissues that are stopping these thighs from coming through mm-hmm. at 16, 17. So mm. I was like... I'm I'm following the rules. I'm not eating those meals just like these girls. And it was like I was it felt like quicksand. It felt like I was fighting a losing battle. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of overwhelming as a teenager too. So I'm super interested in this kind of metamorphosis that you went through where you kind of started coming out the other side of that. Was there an event that prompted it? One of my friends added me to like this fat group. And I just was, like, looking at it and I was just like, oh, this is, like, totally not my thing, but whatever. And anyway, like, I started just, like, reading through posts and everything and I was just like, oh, my God, this makes so much more sense. And I think, like, from there I really started to unpack a lot about what I thought of my body and what I thought of, like, others. And I really went on a huge journey over that year in particular and was just like I can't believe that I've thought this my whole life and I was just really listening to like fat activists and like reading what they'd written and really like thinking about what my journey was as a young person and like being in the bathroom at your white friend's house and like all of us weighing each other you know um and I was just thinking that I was just so ashamed of my body even when I was thin and I was just like I don't need to be like that and like at the time I was like I really like my body and I started to like unfollow all these weight loss like Kayla Itness and um, all these vegan diary things on Instagram. Which are much more about being thin than actually being 
vegan or being healthy. healthy. Yeah. And so I started unfollowing all these people and then like I started going through like fat people to follow or like people whose bodies looked like mine or, you know, other people. And I started just like following people on Instagram and like made that my norm. And it just changed my whole world, just like flipped it upside down in like a year. And I was just completely blown away about what I thought of my body and how I thought of others and the amount that I'd learned because I was just two years before I kind of like started doing activist things. And so I was just like looking for new things to like do, I guess, like, oh, blah, 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 like want to check out this thing. So I was really passionate about it and I used to do a blog um, and I wrote this blog and then I went and did a talk at this Aboriginal Women's Health program which is was like a 12-week program and it was a weight loss program as well and the person who headed it up wanted me to come speak to them and I was just like hey like your weight doesn't define who you are and just because you're fat and like doesn't mean that you're ugly and we associate fat being ugly but it's actually not. And I was just like, if you look it up in the dictionary, it says just like a layer of fat, like it's just an extra thing. But the way that we associate it is like as being unattractive and that's not true. And I think it was really big for people in my community having access to someone who was just like, oh, yeah, there's like so many fat people in this group right now. Doesn't mean that you're not cute, you know. I had such a good response and it just made me way more confident about speaking about body stuff as well because Aboriginal women feel so disempowered in their bodies. We've been called cash cows by media. We're constantly criticised. We are just seen as, you know, the baby makers and we just have kids for money or like our bodies are just used as a vessel or like we're always positioned as the victim. And I was just like, we are not that and fat bodies aren't that. And so as black women, we need to learn to love our bodies. And it was really lovely and I still have people talking about it and that was like you know I think it was like in 2016. That sounds like such an empowering experience and I think that it really resonated with me when you were saying that you know you're at this event and was almost revolutionary because I think it is because there is so much shame And this weird thing that shame makes you do is it makes you really insular and it sounds silly when you out yourself because you realize everyone's feeling the same. But in this weird way, you think you're exceptionally bad and that it's just you and that it's something about you that is why you're fat and it's something about you and your people and your family or your group that is because there's like a value judgment that is layered along with your uh, body image and it's not just about your physical being it's also about your character Mm -hmm. and your value as a human being exactly and so actually one one person having the courage to say Mm -hmm. I don't agree with that actually is enough for everyone to speak up and then I reckon that like that shame stuff doesn't survive very well when you hold it up to any scrutiny because it's just nonsense. Yeah honestly like it's just been huge like I see so many fat black women now like sharing photos of themselves 
on the internet, like naked or in bikinis, and they're just like, I just don't care. And last year I did like this photo series on my Instagram and I got like black women and non-binary black people to send me a photo of themselves and then say what they like about their body. And it was like so cool because I, I think I maybe got like 30 or 40 photos and I uploaded it over two weeks and people were just like loving it and people who would never like show their body um, participated in it as well. So I was like really, really proud to be able to show black bodies because like you see a lot of white fat bodies in like pieces of art and things but you just don't see black people's um, fat bodies in like seen the same way or that black women talking about that they really love their bodies because it reminds them of their mum and their nan and their aunties or that um, they really like the way that their, their stretch marks on their butt or that they love their body because it gave birth to their child. They like, they like their body because it's strong. And when we think about, you know, fat bodies, we always think that, like, there's not as much productivity mm-hmm. and it's like this really capitalist thinking of, like, oh, a fat body doesn't produce as much because it doesn't work as hard because if you're, you're working that hard, then you shouldn't be fat. And that's groundless. Yeah. Scientifically it's been proven to be groundless. Mm. But it's so ingrained culturally mm-hmm. and especially for black women. That mm-hmm. sounds like such a beautiful project. And I love the link that you make between the oppression of black women, especially indigenous women, and the body shame. Because I think that we can't separate the two. And I do think that it is a, a truly revolutionary act and a foundational act in decolonizing for us to actually stop being alienated from our bodies because mm. how, how can you how can you act in your own best interests if you're alienated from your own body mm-hmm. and how can you act in the interests of your community if like me you hate your body which is something that is a direct connection with your other generations of women in your lineage it's like a it's like your body is almost a site of intergenerational trauma yeah it's like my mother gave me this body and now I hate this body she gave me so that's like a it's forming a wedge between me and my mother and the matriarchs who should be like a sense of power for me a source of power for me Mm -hmm. so you sharing all those beautiful black bodies and inspiring those women to say what they love about their bodies is a really political act as well. Yeah, and it's just so funny that we have like fat bodies in our communities but we critique them so much even though we know that they're lovable and we like and we love them so much. It's like we separate their bodies from who they are and we love them but like not their fatness and it's like their fatness is every much a part of them it's like being queer you know like my queerness is just as much as a part of me as like my blackness like I mean like my blackness is way more but also being queer is being black so you know I think that like so is my fatness like that's also a part of who I am and I can't separate the two because it's literally my physical being you know yeah I love that idea like indivisible and I and you're right we are like I love you but I'm not sure I love your fatness and we do that to others and we do that to ourselves Where where do you think that training comes from that kind of way of thinking 
I definitely think like it's just honestly capitalism because with capitalism it's like it's about productivity and it's about what you can do. And I think that if you can't produce as much work, if you can't do that, then you're not seen as valued. And fat people have been positioned as that in the media. Like we don't see those bodies. We don't see fat bodies ever um, in the media. And when we view the media, it normalises those ideas for us as well. But also like I think it's also just the fact that we only see the one type of of body and it's usually white thin people all of the time and we're always trying to like aspire to that and I think that's one th- good thing at the moment is like we can actually switch that off now which is really good but also it's just like you have to do the work as well and be willing to do the work um, for yourself it's so true. It's so true. You have to be willing to do the work, but it doesn't have to be so miserable, the work. Mm-hmm. I love what you said about just going through and following loads of people who were going to re people who were like you and placed you within a context of, I'm actually very normal. I almost feel like what we're sold as the norm is an outlier mm. and it's just a complete skewed view and your act of going through and following lots of fat activists and just normal black and queer and brown people I've done the same thing yeah I chatted with a wonderful uh, black psychologist from uh, polar psychology um, when she came on the show that I did over summer and I said what's a really small self-care act that we can do that's not like go on a retreat for a thousand dollars and she said I would recommend that you go through your social media and unfollow everyone who makes you feel ashamed of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I genuinely did that. And I literally some of the same names that you mentioned. I don't know why I'd followed them in the first place because it's literally not possible for my body to look like yeah. that. So what is it ever going to do but make me feel crummy? Mm-hmm. Um, and I literally just unfollowed them all. And then I started following people who were just beautiful and joyful. And many of them are all sorts of shapes and sizes and races and genders. And it made me feel better. It impacted my quality of life immediately. Yeah. Immediately. So much better. And something that it's... um also really helping me with is really realizing that actually our bodies are very not just okay but necessary Mm -hmm. we are necessary yeah like my body is like this for a reason Mm -hmm. my body knows better Mm -hmm. what it takes for me to be in this world and thrive than a 19 year old girl from the gold coast who's got 50,000 followers because she's got natural thigh gap you know yeah Yeah. it's like this body gets us to work every day our body puts up with like the racism and the complete violence of the colony and my body gets me through a night of partying which is fun and I love it and you know like my body gets to give my nieces and nephews cuddles and you know and like making Christmas dinners or um going camping and you know chopping wood my body does that and I think that like we really need to see what our bodies do um for ourselves and 
like for other people and like for, and for the people that we love because our bodies also give like so much love to people and I think that like we need to give ourselves the love that we give out. We are under constant assault out here in this world as black women and you need every resource you possibly can on your side. Mm-hmm. Strong body, strong mind, connection between body and mind in order to just survive out here. But also, uh, without wanting to be lewd, having that body-mind connection means I feel real sexy these days. Mm-hmm. And I undoubtedly feel, maybe it's part of getting older too, but I feel like I am in the height of my powers at, you know, feeling like an embodied and sexy, pure, like, Shaka Khan-ness of mm-hmm. every woman. And I really get that vibe when I check your Instagram too. Like, when I see you going out with your crew, I'm like, this is a person who is embodying all of their personhood and owning it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it definitely helps, like, checking who your friends are hey and like changing your circle like changing your friendship circle where your friends and your family allow you to be in your body in all its glory just wearing like bras and undies to like a party for instance you know like thin people do that all the time and like I think that having friends that are just like oh my god you look so hot and I think it's important to like not have the people around you that make you feel guilty for having the body that you do and it's like instead of editing photos edit your friendship group amen Mm. that stop editing your photos and instead edit your friendship group and anybody who's giving you tips on how to lose weight maybe unfollow that one you really come across as having so much confidence and it's beautiful and powerful what are the foundations you think what are the foundational changes that have gone on in your mind between the person who is like hiding their food in the top drawer to the person that you are now who is rocking your outfits that you wear out to the club with your friends I think it was honestly the reading about fat bodies and I think that was huge like that was like foundational for me to read it and be reflective and read what other fat people were saying and that was you know that was like massive and I think like if I didn't have that to base it off which I feel really fortunate to have been able to especially be added into like a fat like group like a radical fat group which was you know so cool um and I think that was yeah huge but I think it's like about reading what fat people have to say and in particular fat pock and um how our bodies are continually violated or like if always our bodies were whether we're fat or thin always sit outside of the norms of especially in the context here in Australia and I think that we need to really push ourselves harder to be and challenge ourselves because like the amount of times that I continue to challenge myself and I think it's just being also being allowing yourself to move and change it's like oh you might have this belief now but it's like you need to, you know, let your guard down and, like, stop trying to think that you know everything because I was definitely one of those people um, but I was just – I got through a stage where I was, like, learning so many things that 
I was just like a sponge and I was just like, okay, I'm going to take this on and really challenging myself and my worldview and um, how that worldview affected myself and my body and the way that I viewed people um, around me and like my family. So I think that that was really foundational, but also just having like um, close family and friends that um, will support you through that because Honestly, I was, like, really lucky to have people to talk to being fat about and then them realising what they, like, had been, like, unconsciously doing as well and, like, them being reflective. So that was really um, foundational because you're going on this, like, learning journey together even though the person might not be fat. It's like this, it's, yeah, it's good to have someone that validates those feelings because they will, like, can notice it as well. That's really beautiful to have people in your circle who are open to understanding. Yeah, I, I love that because it's it's one thing to have this uh, go and find these resources yourself and become really reflective. But having people around you who when you say to them, actually, when we do this together, it makes me feel this way. Mm. Also having that closeness and the generosity and trust in them that you're able to say, look, I trust that you don't know better, but actually when we do this, it's hard for me and it makes me feel the following way and I've learned this and could we do it like that and have them actually give you the space and go, yeah, I'm learning too. Thank you for making me aware of that Mm -hmm. is really important because I think part of kind of staying stuck is feeling like, oh, you know, how will other people receive it if I actually start saying to them, well, actually, when you do that, it makes things rough for me when you do that. Yeah, especially if it's like lots of weight loss things. You're just like, oh, my God, no, like I, this is like too much. And, yeah, I think that like having people respond to that respectfully is like really nice. But also just like even having like a fat body and um, telling people, you know, can you please ask me if I want the booth seat or not? Because sometimes it could be too small or sitting in the aisle where people are walking past and it takes up the pathway. You know, I think like people like recognising that instead of you having to like deal with the uncomfortableness of taking up the aisle path like in a restaurant is like also huge and just, you know, being able to communicate that to the people that you're around is really great because there's so much more less guilt. Like you just feel less yes. guilty. It's like you have, we spend our lives feeling guilty all the time and it's like if you can tick one, like strike one thing out of feeling guilty, then like it's great. Like love it. Oh, I love that. I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to say to my friends, if we arrive in a venue that has those, you know, my pet peeve is those real high chairs, those high stools. Oh my god, I can't, I can't sit on those because my legs are too short, and so then my legs, like, and like, like it just hurts. It hurts because it's just like my thighs can't hang off here for that long. I'm like pe- my the circulation's being cut, cut off. off. Yeah. Don't do that to me. Yeah, I can't. Like, it's just like, and I just have, yeah, I just have really short legs anyway. But it's just like, and I just feel like a child. Like, it's sitting just with your legs swinging. Ah, oh, that's beautiful. Thank you, Tani. Can I ask you one more question? Mm-hmm. What sort of auntie would you say that you are? I am a clapping too loud at your gig auntie, hooping and hollering at your school sports day and shaming you, but also just loving the heck out of you auntie. What sort of auntie do you reckon you are? I have 
definitely been the auntie who claps too loud. I'm also like the political auntie who will like, I'll pick up my niece and nephew from school when I'm in Portland and I will just like talk about all this race stuff. And like, so I'm the political auntie. They'll be like, yeah, this person said this to me at school, blah, blah, blah. Um, But also like I'm the auntie when I hang out with my younger niece and nephew. I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm the stressful auntie who's like, oh, my God, please don't run over there. Oh, my God, you're going to hurt yourself. Like I'm the stressed out auntie who's just like, oh, my God, no. I'm just, yeah, I feel like I'm I'm just like the roller coaster. I'm like really stressed out that you're going to hurt yourself and I'm like talking about um, black politics and then I'm just like clapping way too loudly um, at your gigs. Like I remember one time my nephew um, told me that he called, got called something racist at school and I was so mad I emailed the principal like I just like I just like v-lined the mum because like they live with their mum I like v-lined the mum and I was just like wrote a huge email to the school and I was just like I just cannot believe this hasn't been dealt with and then like the principal like freaked out and I was just like oh my god like you need to deal with this anyway the kid like it had happened like a few months before and my nephew had kind of been holding it for a while. Um, and so um, like the kid ended up getting spoken to, but it was just like I'm that auntie. Like I will shame, like I'm just like I'm going to do this right now. So, yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm, I just feel like I'm, yeah, that auntie. You're a protector. That's yeah. beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love that. And how beautiful for them your nephew to be able to offload that carrying that around ain't healthy for a kid Mm -hmm. it's wonderful to have a fierce auntie you can be like auntie and just watch as things unfold (laughs) (laughs) at school i can just imagine your nephew at school now being like don't make me call my auntie (laughs) (laughs) how good's that Mm -hmm. tanine thank you so much it's been a pleasure Thanks very much to Tarneen Onis-Williams for that great conversation. Hey Auntie is produced by Michelle Macklin, Chantelle Dumanuba and me, Chantelle Weatherall. Music in this episode is by Jason Price and Michelle Macklin. For more on the show, you can visit heyauntiepod.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're just getting started with season two, but you can always go back and listen to the great conversations from season one. More from us in a week.